Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is co-founder and creative director of Rocket Songs, Jonathan Stone. First of all, Spotify versus the radio. There are big differences, and we all know them superficially. One is digital, of course, and the other is over the air, at least what we think about. Then again, most large radio stations now have a digital presence. That being said, there's a big difference between them. Yes, one is on demand and the other one isn't, but it's more than that. There is a study that found that it took, on average, two weeks for a song to hit the top 10 on Spotify, while it took three months for that to happen on radio. Now, of course, that's if it is going to happen at all. It just goes to show that it's a lot faster on Spotify to get to the top than it is on radio. That being said, radio has a lot of longevity. The average top 10 song stays there for 26 weeks, and that's twice as long as Spotify. As a matter of fact, if you have a radio hit, it's still going to be played nine months later on the radio, but it's going to be long gone on Spotify. So there's good and bad for each of those. Now, all that being said, radio is still a huge, huge entertainment source. Americans spend 70 billion hours of car time. 70 billion, with a B, hours in their car. So, as a result, Spotify understands that if it's going to actually compete with radio, it has to do something new. So it's coming out with its own version of a radio. The code word for it is called Car Thing, and it's now being tested. It's going to have preset playlist buttons, just like a car radio, and it's going to be Bluetooth connected. So, again, piece of hardware from Spotify. We haven't seen that yet. There's been threats of a smart speaker coming out, but we really haven't seen that. And, of course, there's lots more money in hardware than there is in software, as we've seen from Amazon and Apple. So that's why Spotify is kind of looking towards some sort of hardware, and especially in the car where it knows there's a captive audience there every single day, and they're not necessarily listening to Spotify. So we'll see what happens there. Now, just something else here has to do with Spotify, a little off the subject, but not really. Motley Crue, the whole catalog, has been streamed 74 million times on Spotify, 20 million times on on Apple Music since their documentary, docudrama, whatever you might want to call it, The Dirt, came out on Netflix. The download sales were up over 1,300%. Basically, everything spiked like crazy thanks to that video on Netflix. Who would have thought? It turns out that television is still a big driving force. It's just not where... It used to be. The driving force used to be Saturday Night Live. If you appeared on Saturday Night Live, you were guaranteed at least 100,000 album sales the following week. And it was a lot more for artists that had big hits. It used to be if you were on a late night TV show. Then your sales would spike once again the following days and week. That no longer happens. You can appear on Saturday Night Live and have a negligible bump right afterwards. Even the Grammys, you can have a negligible bump with the appearance on the biggest music night of the year, 
so they call it. But you have something on Netflix, and all of a sudden, everybody sees it or at least knows about it. And Motley Crue is the beneficiary in this case by a whole lot. So we may be seeing the dynamics of how music is promoted change right before our eyes. And we may be seeing that video for legacy artists is a much more beneficial proposition than just regular play either on the radio or Spotify or any other streaming network. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. Don't forget about my online courses on mixing, production, branding, and music business success at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Also, get an expert analysis and objective opinion of your songs and mixes as a member of my Hitmakers Club. Go to hitmakersclub.com to learn more. Now, we've all seen this coming, but it looks like this whole notion of the playlist replacing the album is finally here. And yes, we've been hearing about this for a while, and, and we could see the signs of it going on, but now there's solid evidence that, in fact, it's happened. Singles and playlists last year made up more than 80% of what people listen to on streaming networks. And if you were between the ages of 10 and 24 years old, that jumped up to 94%. So the album may be a fantastic artistic statement, and nothing replaced that. But the fact of the matter is, people don't much care. Why? Well, playlists are not about artists and titles anymore. What they're about are moods and activities. People listen based on what they're doing. And that's the reason why album sales are way down and streaming album sales are way down as well. People just don't want to spend the time with an artist, especially if it's long. And we're seeing a trend on albums that are coming out being short, as short as 28 minutes. I just saw one. I don't have a problem with that. I actually think albums should be shorter. When the CD came out, there was a tendency for everyone to make their albums really long. 50 minutes plus, and many times 60 minutes plus. And let's face it, even the most dedicated fan doesn't want to spend that much time consuming that product when it's 45 minutes or less like the old vinyl LPs used to be. That was pretty much consumable. And that was consumable without losing your attention. There was two sides, so it was kind of easy. You listen to 20 minutes, and that was a good time to get up and take a break flip the disc over, then you had another 20-some minutes later. And that seemed to work perfectly. And today, with everybody being so busy, the fact of the matter is, our attention spans are really short. So we're listening to songs and different songs and different songs, and all those songs are short as well. They're two minutes and three minutes tops. They're not that long. So what we're seeing here is a trend towards playlists. And I think we're going to see fewer and fewer artists even care about the album going forward. And yes, the album works as a compilation of your singles, but not as the product itself. So there's a changing of the guard in the music business. It's actually been coming on for a while, but I think it's pretty much official now. The playlist has replaced the album. 
Jonathan Stone has had a long career as a director of creative services and music publishing at heavyweight companies like ATV Music, MCA Music, Quincy Jones Quest Music Publishing, and Windswept. He now runs the disruptive music service Rocket Songs that not only helps artists to find and license songs, but supplies the tracks as well. In the interview, we talked about the new song structure and how that affects music publishers, a day in a song plugger's life, the value of publishers, disrupting the publishing business, and much, much more. I spoke with Jonathan via Skype from his office in Los Angeles. Tell me about Rocket Songs. Tell me about how it got started. And I know that, that there's some disruption involved that what you're trying to do. So we're, let's go there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the surface of it, there's a lot to unpack, but there is also a pretty basic fundamental idea that I think goes back to the beginning of the music industry, where I'm sure you're, you're aware that back in the good old days, nobody recorded the songs they wrote and everybody, they were song pluggers and people pitched songs, right? Brill building and all those, all those stories. And so the industry really kind of evolved to singer-songwriters, Singer-songwriters really didn't exist in the 50s, and, and uh, it was very rare that somebody wrote all their own material. But anyway, it, it evolved that way, but all along, uh, which is fantastic, but all along, there's always been this business of songwriters and songwriters writing songs for artists, some of who write their own material and some who don't. And somewhere in the middle, there is a combination thereof. So... The idea of finding the best possible song that you can to record when you're going in to make a record, whether you're a label or whether you're an independent artist, that's just paramount. And it is probably the most, certainly the most important thing you can do is what piece of music are you going to record? Are you going to write it or are you going to get it from somebody? It's just that simple. There's only two options. You either have to write your music yourself or you got to go get it from someone. So certainly everyone wants to write it themselves if they can, or if they fancy themselves that. Certainly there is a large community of people out there that really aren't songwriters at all, but are great singers. There's lots of people that sing. You know this, these, there's so many singers. So our idea, particularly with the online environment and particularly with the influx of shows like American Idol or The Voice, there's clearly this do-it-yourself DIY or environment, right? Yeah. That's happening. That certainly people now are distributing their own records. They're uh, marketing and promoting through various websites. And it's all this new, exciting, powerful new world of the music industry that, that artists find themselves in where they don't have to worry about getting a record deal or trying to fight corporate bad guys who are keeping them from getting record deals. So it's kind of the good news and the bad news. But the bottom line is, this has now taken hold, and we see ourselves as being kind of not so much the last add-on, but the most recent add-on to that environment is being able to go and find a great song. If you're one of these folks, and you can do all these other things, and you can call TuneCore, and you can sign up here, and you can sign up with iTunes and distribute your product, you certainly have to give people a great product. So we are connecting all these independent artists out there who are looking for a great original song to record with the pro writers, producers, 
and publishers who have this material. And so if you're a singer anywhere, you don't know how to get the right to record somebody else's song. You don't know how to get Warner Chapel on the phone or Sony ATV or any of the big major big four publishers, or certainly you don't know how to reach a lot of the independent pro writers and producers that have catalogs and all that. So if you want to get a sync license, there's all these companies all over the place now where you can go get a sync license. But if you want to get a license to cover an original song, that's what we're doing. And uh, I don't know as much if it's, it's a disruption as much as it is just a really great service, but we are providing this service and we opened up the doors and thought, well, gee, you know, how many are people out there that really want to find uh, an original song to record that, from somebody else? So it's really gone great. And we launched it. Uh, we were in beta for a while, but then we launched it about three years ago, three or four years ago, really launched it. And it's just grown and grown. And we're getting um, five, 600 songs cut per month now for our content partners. Wow. There's no major publisher in town doing that. I mean, not with original songs that they're pitching, you know, yeah. that their song pluggers are taking. So it's become, uh, it's become successful and we continue to try and find new content to provide. Someone comes to our site and they just start searching. They search by genre and country, pop, rock, you know, all the typical things and pitch themselves song from a catalog right now that's 3,000 songs and growing, all from professional songwriters and professional publishers. You won't go to our site and hear a bunch of lousy songs. You will be blown away, you know, when you, you land out. They may not all be your cup of tea. We have all genres, but uh, we offer lots of different licenses, ranging from $9.95 for your basic re-record license, all the way up to $900 license, which is a big ticket online for the stems to a song. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So the- That's a little disruptive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just talk about the multiple licenses here and, and the mechanics of all that. I go to rocketsongs.com, I find a song that I want, least expensive license is $9.95, right? Yes. What do I get for that? In the older vernacular of the music industry, you get a basic mechanical license. You get a license, to take the song, re-record it from scratch. That's a license that says you can have this piece of music. You're just getting our standard license. You got to now go into the studio, just like the old days, and record it. Hire musicians, find your singers, find your background vocals, find whatever it is you want to do with this song. You may want to take the song and create the EDM record. Or who knows what you might want to do with it? But you are, as long as you don't fundamentally change it, then you need you know permissions for that. But you can take your song and do quote your version of it not using any of our potentially available instrumentals or our stems that we make available as well. So that's what it is. It's just a basic re-record fundamental license that's been around for 100 years. Okay, let's go to the next step then. What else is available? The next step above the standard license is what we call the expanded license, which we're soon to just be calling the instrumental, <laughs> but we called it expanded at the time. For the moment on the website, it's the expanded license. The expanded license starts at $14.95 and goes all the way up to $39.95. That's the instrumental two-track, just a two-track, if you would, Bobby, like a TV mix, right? It's a two-track mix of the song. It's stereo mix, 
but it's an MP3. Or if you pay the $39.95, it can be a wave. So you got an MP3 or a wave instrumental, right? And those are basically, you know what those are, but they give you the opportunity to just put your vocal on those, use them for auditions. I mean, I, I guess some people could take them and release them. Um, uh, and certainly the wave mixes, you could you could do something pretty good. You could take that into studio and add your vocal on, get pretty good sound out of that. So then that's the expanded license. Above the expanded license, we have something called the exclusive license. The exclusive license starts at $50 and goes all the way up to $125 and includes all of the same products that I previously mentioned to the extent that the instrumentals exist. But they also, when you get the exclusive license, you put the song on hold. So you take the song off of the site for a period of time. Sort of, in effect, make the song your own. You can block other people from seeing the song. So if you are doing a project and you hear a great song, you kind of think, hey, I don't want anybody else to hear this for now. Yeah. If I can take it and make it mine for a little while, I'll pay that extra money for that. So, I mean, I certainly would do that if I was working with an artist that I was developing. And then I have done that. I'd, hey, I want to put this song on hold for a while. So that starts at $50 and goes up to $125 if you want to put the song on hold for a year. That's a pretty good deal if you want to take a song off a website for, you know what I mean? Yeah. Put a song on hold. So what that does is it takes the song off of the Rocket Songs website so none of our other members can access that song for that period of time. That license gives you the instrumental tracks if they're available. Uh, not every song on our site has the instrumental available, but I would say 50 to 60% of them do. The license above that is a $295 master stem file. And that goes anywhere from $295 to $495 to $695 to $895. And our content partners price those as they want to. We're just partners with the people giving us this content. We're not a publisher. So we allow our content partners to pick some of this pricing as they, you know, hey, they know what they want. We've created a structure for them to be able to vary the pricing on the products they want to make available. So if you're putting up like an unplugged piece with a couple of instruments kind of unplugged you know, you can't really ask much more than two ninety five for something like that. You know, and then you send them the stems. If somebody is has got something that's a, basically a master demo production that sounds like a record, you know how people can do these days. Yeah, people in their on their laptops they make things that sound what would have cost David Foster two hundred thousand dollars. You know, to produce yeah. ten years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's phenomenal what technology has done to this business, but. Nonetheless, if somebody has a master stem file that they want to make available on a song, not everybody makes these files available on every song, but if they're willing to license their masters to our customers, the stem files, and if they have something that is really, you can tell a lot of time went into it, it's a real big production, they'll ask for $895. And that's, that's about as high as you can go with an online environment. The people aren't buying the master, they're licensing it. It's almost like we're giving them a license to use it in perpetuity. So once you get those files, the person that owns the file still owns it. So we've created something and we're doing something here, and maybe this is the disruption, uh, that nobody else has ever done. And that is to actually create a product 
to make available to the public of these stems. Yeah. Stems are becoming much more conversational. People are learning what those things are. And so every piece of music that's been created has got these files. Basically, there is a, certainly in the past 15 years, all of them, pretty much all of them have been created digitally. These master recordings, these demo recordings, if you will, these artist projects that people have spent time and money in developing an artist. And as you and I know, nine times out of 10, these projects don't go anywhere. Yeah. But you might have some great songs and you might be able to get them synced somewhere. You've now got these, this product that can be licensed for film and TV. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's a huge business these days. This is now another business that we've created. Now you might be able to license those files to people that don't have the knowledge to go in and hire a bunch of musicians. They don't live in LA and Nashville. Hey, try to make a great record in Idaho. Yeah. Even today, that's not going to be too easy. Yeah. It just isn't. The great records and the great talent and the musicians and the songwriters, they're in LA, Nashville, New York, and London, and certainly to a degree in Atlanta. And certainly there's a lot more around now Florida. But that's pretty much where they're all making the records is those six cities. You know, that's pretty much where it's all going on. So we get stuff primarily from those communities and, and make it available for people to go in and if they want to get those files. And the technology is such now, hey, we're not dealing with two-inch analog tape anymore. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're dealing with this, these, these digital files that people can take now, plug into their Pro Tools, and there they go. They've got a, this, this Pro session at their disposal. So, Jonathan, do you actively seek out songwriters or they come to you? The reason why I say that is you've been up and running for, what, three years now? Yeah, Mm -hmm. And that, if I were a songwriter and I would see that, I'd think, well, hey, maybe this is a good outlet for me. So how does that work? So there's two ways that works. Uh, when we started the site, the idea was, look, nobody's really going to come and license these songs unless they're good songs. Yeah. So, you know, you can't just open it up to anybody that wants to put up songs. As, as, as we know, there are a lot of songwriters out there and some of the songs aren't so great so you're not going to make much money that's not going to do anybody any good to put up songs that basically that don't sound like hits our site's no different than anything else the songs on our site that get the most licenses are the songs that you would think get the most licenses when you hear them you go wow that's a really good song mm -hmm. i don't care who you are i mean certainly our trained ears can tell quality in in a more finite way but even the general public these days, they're listening to The Voice and American. I mean, they're getting pretty hip to what's good and what isn't talent and songs. So our idea is our catalog is highly curated. At this point, 99.9% .9 of all of the songs on our site are literally from people who make their living in the music business. Mm -hmm. They're professional. One of our content partners is Combustion Music, which is the largest, most successful independent music publisher in Nashville. You know, they've had the ASCAP songwriter of the year six years in a row now with Ashley Gorley. They've got songs on our site. We just cut a deal with Sony ATV. Sony ATV is the biggest music publisher in the world. They've given us 150 songs to uh, put up on our site. So this is what we're talking about here, the best of the best. That being said, we are open to anybody submitting material to us. And we're even building out that side of our business even more because we've had the walls, they're like uh, beating down the walls. Now that people are hearing about what we're doing, 
there's a lot of independent songwriters out there that want to try and get their songs onto our site mm. because of the success we're having. And who doesn't want to get a cut? If you're a publisher, right? I mean, there's nothing better, right? Yeah. Have somebody record your song. What we've done is we've monetized it. I'm getting so tired of that word. But we've monetized it on the front end to where people now pay our singer customers, uh, pay a license fee up front. So you know you're going to get something. And then in the long view, you might just have a hit. One of these folks, we've had a lot of folks that have had regional hits all around the world with these songs. Your songs are getting out there. Our song, these, these singers are coming. And what do they do when they come and get a song? What would you think that one of our singers does as soon as they record one of our songs? They put it up on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> and then they put it up on Spotify because yeah. those platforms are now open to anybody. And they, they sign up to TuneCore or to iTunes. That's what they all do. So you're getting a you're getting if you're a content partner, you're getting songs licensed. You're getting some royalty revenue. Not every version is going to be great. Not every version is going to create additional income. But they all paid a license fee up front. That's for sure. So our business is is based on that. We don't take a piece of the publishing. We don't take a piece of uh, certainly of any uh, ownership of the masters or the publishing or anything, but we split the upfront revenue that's licensed, we split. Okay. Let's talk a little big picture here. You've been in this game for a really long time. I have. And I want to go there in a second. I, I want some more about your background, but let's just talk about songs for a second because songs have changed. And especially lately, thanks to streaming, things are shorter. There are many songs that don't have bridges, and traditionally all hits had a bridge and some peak. There's fewer intros. The endings are different instead of fades. Now, you know, what we're getting are, you know, dead stops at the end. Given that it's so different from the way it used to be, how does that affect you as a curator? I don't, I don't think it does. I, I think that you just have to think differently. And I, you're right, I've been in this business a long time. And so I'm, I'm firmly rooted in the old school in so many ways. And my partners in the company keep telling me, oh man, you're like one of those old school music business guys. You can't think that way. And so you just have to kind of take the blinders off and just say, you know, we're going we're gonna to make uh, music and products available that we think our customers will respond to. And so I'm not making a judgment so much on whether or not a song is a hit. Uh, I'm making a judgment on, when I say curated, I'm making a judgment on the quality of the recording, the quality of the presentation, and that lyrically it's appropriate, you know, um, and that's, and that it sounds professional. I can't think of a better way to put it, but that it just, even a beginner, even somebody that's brand new to the music industry can, can make a professional recording. You know, something that just sounds clean, pristine, appropriate for presentation for whatever, whether it's getting sync fees or whether it's pitching to other artists to record. So I don't make too much of a judgment. I don't make too much of a, uh, of a creative judgment on that. And even so, there's a lot of songs that we do allow to go up on the site that in my mind, and I learned this very early on, because I have a preconceived idea myself after years of being in the business over what I think would be songs that people would like yeah so i kind of went with that at the beginning and then we sort of started opening things up a bit and putting up things that maybe i thought well you know gee maybe this isn't uh, what i think is the strongest song but let's see you know i mean from a from a hit standpoint 
So let's put up this stuff that's a little more eclectic and it's a little more out of the box. It's a little more non-commercial, for lack of a better way to put it, and see what happens. And those things started to get a licensing too. So there's a wide variety of music that we put up, and I think we just keep it, we keep it that way. We keep that bucket pretty big, and we keep our tags and our genres pretty small. Like, you won't come to our site and see 100 genres. You'll see about 20 or 25, you know, and, and try and keep people's focus into the main sort of big bucket genres. Okay, tell me how you get into the business, because I, I really want to hear your story, because obviously it's evolved. I know you've, you've worked for some really big companies, Yeah. and now that you're in a startup, it's a different mindset. But let's go back to the beginning. How did you get in the business? So uh, I was really born into the business. My dad, my father was uh, in the music business and really kind of a, a bit of a legendary character going all the way back into, you know, the 40s and 50s and things. And that's a whole nother story. But suffice it to say, that's how I became exposed to the business. When I was 19 years old, I started working for ATV Music. Uh, that was when ATV Music first started. And so I started as a tape copy person. And then eventually that evolved into becoming a song plugger. I spent some time in Nashville. I helped set up their Nashville office. From there, I, I moved back here and, and got a job in the early 80s working for uh, MCA Universal Music, worked for them for four or five years. And then my big break or my big change really came uh, in 86 or 87. And I, uh, Quincy Jones hired me to run his music publishing and production companies. And that was sort of right at the height of the Michael Jackson his second album, the Bad Album. Uh, it was called Bad. And uh, Man in the Mirror, those songs came from that project. And so I ran Quincy's uh, music operations there for three or four years. Shortly thereafter, I was offered a job uh, at another new company called Windswept Pacific Entertainment, where I really was for 20 years and ultimately became the president of that company. We became the largest independent music publisher in the world. And then that company was sold to BMG and, and uh, Bug Music. And rather than go along uh, with that, uh, with that situation, I decided to start my own publishing company about 10 years ago. And then somewhere along the way, I got the idea for Rocket Songs and took it to some friends of mine up in Silicon Valley, up in San Francisco. And they thought, wow, that's different. They were very interested in getting into the music space. And so then we, there was another idea we had that we sort of fooled around with for a little bit. And then we sort of came onto this. And I said, basically, I said, well, you know, I've been a music publisher my whole life. And it's amazing to me how many great songs that I had as a publisher that nothing ever happened, you know, where all these writers would write these amazing songs that just sound like hits. And of course, I don't know if the public even has any idea. They just hear the music as it comes out, right? <laughs> they hear the records and they just think, okay, that's cool. That's great. It's like you watch a TV show and you go, gee, that Friends, that's a great show or Seinfeld. That, that's really cool. You no idea the amount of work that went into creating. You do, but you don't, you're not supposed to think about that. So same thing with songs. Uh, and so for every hit song, for every song that a professional, this is what I like to say, for every song for every 10 songs that a professional writer creates, he's lucky if one of them gets even recorded, or maybe two. Out of every 100 songs that they write or create, they're lucky if, uh, if one of them becomes a hit. So uh, it, it's really, it's difficult, and it's, it's hard to succeed. So bottom line is, well, there's a lot of stuff there then. If, every, if one song out of 100 is a hit for a professional writer, what do we do with those other 99 songs? 
And those numbers and those percentages really hold true for major publishers. For every large major publisher, and these publishers have a million songs, some of the big ones now have like literally a million songs, 5% of their songs earn 95% of the income. 5%. Not surprised. So, I mean, still that's, you know, 50,000 songs making a lot of money each year, but there's the other 95% of the catalog that's just laying there that was all created by professionals. Hmm. Not just anybody. I mean, stuff that's already been curated, these publishers already have. Every major publisher, every major independent publisher, everybody they sign is really good. No publisher that's going to pay a writer a salary is going to sign somebody that sucks. Yeah, They just don't do it. So there's different degrees of, of expertise uh, with songwriters. Point being, there's all this content laying around that they're taking and trying to get sync licenses with it. But that's a tough market too. So we said, let's take this material and make it available. Are there enough of these DIY singers out there to support this? And there sure as heck is. You know, what's interesting. You mentioned before you started, or one of your early jobs was as a song plugger. Yeah. And I want to talk about that, but I just realized that what you're actually doing, you're an electronic song plugger with Rocket Songs. That's what I say to people, basically, and I start to explain to someone that wants to come on board and they start to sort of get confused. I said, wait a minute, we're just an online automated song plugging machine. Yeah. We're just pitching your songs, but we're doing it in an online automated environment, electronic, if you will. Yeah. That's exactly right. And like everything online, right? Everything has to scale. Yeah. 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 In order for it to work, you can create this great website. And everyone says, oh, man, this is great. Look at this website. You just surf around and everything's happening. Well, the truth is Amazon's got about 200,000 people working to keep that homepage up. You know, <laughs> it's like, like that amazing amount of people. That's, that's what it is. It's an, exactly what it is. It's an electronic song plugger. And you pitch to yourself. Yeah, right. That's the brilliant part. You just pitch songs to yourself. But let's talk about being a song plugger for a second, because I know. Sure. Everybody knows the term, but not everyone knows exactly what that entails. So give me a day in the song plugger's life. Yeah, well, it's a real old timey term. I, I mean, I use it these days for some of the young kids that work with us. They're like, huh, what, huh, huh, what's that? And, you know, it, but I haven't really found a better term to describe it. Yeah. A song exploitation person, you know, I mean, what <laughs> is it? There's really, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's somebody that whether you're doing it for as a publisher for some of your clients or whether you're an independent song plugger person who people pay specifically to work on their catalogs, it's basically you are looking for opportunities to get your songs recorded. That's what a song plugger does. They take great songs. The traditional song plugger works for a music publishing company and the music, all the music publishing companies, even today have what they call creative directors and or A&R people that they call them at the publishing company, whose job it is to go out and get activity on these songs, however they do it. So the old timey term for that is song plugger. And, and that's just somebody you're out pitching, you're plugging, you're, you're, you know, it's just, it's just an old, it's just an old term, but that's what your day is spent doing is calling up record producers, calling up managers, calling up, certainly calling up labels, calling the, you know, reaching out to the major networks and the film studios to find out what projects they're looking for songs for. And then you pitch them songs or you plug them, plug them songs. 
uh, and you, you, you send them a file and you find out what their needs are. Oh, I've got a scene here where a dinosaur is going to be walking up a mountain, but we want something that's kind of like a fifties kind of or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then you try and fill the bill. You pitch him a song. Yeah. You're the person that sends the music. You make the creative decisions about the songs that you have at your disposal. You make those decisions and decide which songs you're going to send. And you'll send anywhere from one or two to three or four songs at a time. I would think that that would be easier today than it ever was, because once upon a time, you'd have to send them a copy in one way or another, a cassette, a CD, a piece of vinyl, whatever it was. And today it's just, well, send an email with some links, right? It is easier. Yeah, it is easier to do. And, and, and you know, I hate to tell you when I started, but when I started, it was a reel to reel tape <laughs> that you actually did, you know? Yeah. But, um, and then it went to cassettes uh, and then CDs. But uh, yeah, it's much easier to now. I mean, and that's kind of the good and the bad because the, the way you really used to do it in the, uh, I hate to keep saying the old days, but you used to sit and have a meeting and you would actually sit in and uh, play the songs together and sit in a meeting. And, and not so much these days, people are just moving so quickly and there's so much. I mean, there, there used to be three TV stations up until like the seventies, there were only three channels. Yeah. You know, maybe six or seven if you lived in a big city. Mm-hmm. You know, you had channels two to 13. And then it went from like channel two to channel 70 when HBO and everybody came in. And then now, and now there's, you know, a couple thousand channels on everybody's TV. And on top of that, along comes YouTube. And every single video pretty much on YouTube's got some kind of music behind it. Yeah. Even if a guy's cutting down a tree, there's some kind of music library music behind that. Yeah. So, Everything's moving faster and there's lots, lots of need for music. And so the technology and the MP3s and the ability to be able to email music around has just been, it's been great. It's really driven, driven the industry. Given your experience in the industry, what's one thing that songwriters don't know about publishing or don't appreciate about publishing? I would say songwriters have developed this uh, idea that publishers are thieves Mm. and that if you're giving right and if you're giving up a piece of your publishing just to a publisher oh boy they're trying to steal your song hey don't give up all your publishing to a publisher don't give up anybody in your well then nothing's going to happen if you want to be an island unto yourself then that's fine but if you're really trying to advance your career as a songwriter uh or even as an artist if you can get a good publisher on board, I mean, the idea of the thieving publishers is gone. I mean, I'm not going to say it's never going to happen, but that's like a story from the 50s and the 60s. And, and yeah, I think the biggest complaint that writers have about publishers now is that, hey, I signed with that guy and he never got me any cuts. Yeah. You hear that. He never got me any action. But that's true of everybody. There's not a writer in the world that doesn't have that story. The most successful writers on the planet, none of them just started out and started having hits. I don't care whether it's Goffin and King or and anybody. Nobody started out just having hits. So you have to create a team of people behind you that are going to help you. Um, if you want to try and do it all yourself, you can. But it's a great thing to get a publisher involved. If you've got to give up 100% of your publishing and you're with a great publisher, that's what you have to do at the beginning. No one's taking your writers. Yeah. Everybody got confused. Everyone as, as these days is confused that they think that publishers... Are, are, are taking all of your royalties. They're not. You have your writer's royalties for the rest of your life. 
In fact, they passed laws in the early 60s that said writers can't give their writer royalties away to anybody anymore. Yeah. Because there was going on back in the early 60s. Once you write it, it's yours. Your publishing is negotiable. That's there so that you can hopefully bring in some partners to help you move your music along, whether it's to develop you as an artist or to help you get songs cut with other artists, whether it's to try and get your songs used in film and TV. You can't do all of that yourself. So few people can, but not many. So it's great if you can get a publisher as a partner. Okay, last question, Jonathan. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Sure. What's the best piece of business advice that maybe somebody imparted to you or maybe you learned along the way? I've had so many mentors. And, and I, I, think, I think this is true, whether it's for uh, an executive or a, a song plugger or a publisher or if you're a writer, and that is to be tenacious. And there's lots of people that have got a lot of talent. You know, there, there, there are people running, running around that are very talented. But if you don't sort of have that stick and if you aren't tenacious, I tell people now, I, whenever I look to sign a writer, because I've got my own publishing company, I'm looking at their work ethic. It's a given that they've got to be talented. They have to be talented for me to consider even giving them a, a, a publishing contract. But they've got to be tenacious. They've got to be resilient. And you can't have thin skin if you're going to be a songwriter in this business because you're going to get turned down thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And you have to be more than just a writer. You've got to get in there and you've got to you know, continue to write uh, songs, make it your job. And just that's Diane Warren. You know, I mean, Diane Warren's the number one songwriter in the history of the music business is Diane Warren. And I've never met anybody that was more tenacious. I've met with her many, many times during my career, in my career. And, uh, uh, she is, you know, tenacious and writes a song a day and man, it's a business and, and look what happened, you know? I mean, so that's, that's the thing to really just stick with it. And, uh, I can't say don't take no for an answer, but keep working hard. Just out of curiosity, what's her demos like? They sound like records. That's what I thought. Yeah. They do. They sound like records. I mean, she's never, it was just kind of surprising to me that she's never evolved into a full blown, uh, into a producer. She should have. She's very talented and she has a co-producer that she works with. But I mean, her demos sound, I mean, she keeps them as demos. She's probably very smart that way. She doesn't, you know, try to really, I don't think she tries to create records per se, but they're super high quality and you know, she, she takes a fair amount of time, you know, has her own, of course, her own recording studios, takes a fair amount of time in producing them and just make sure that they're, they're just pristine, you know. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate it. I will let you know in this post, like I say, it'll be in June sometime, but uh, I'll reach out and make sure that, you know. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. We'll get it out in social media and everything. So everybody knows. And Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, Bobby. Anytime, anytime. Cool, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. You can find out more about Jonathan and Rocket Songs at rocketsongs.com. That's Rocket Songs, all one word, rocketsongs.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyoinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, and now Radio Public. 
at bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com. You'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter for alerts to new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 